Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, folks. Welcome to this week's 1% Better Podcast. I think this is my sixth go at doing the intro. Normally get it a bit better than that. Haven't had much coffee today, but I have a few things I wanted to talk through and I keep getting mumbled and stumbled on, but I'm going to go for it this time. So, if you're a regular listener, thank you for coming back as always. If you're new, welcome to the podcast. I just want to call out last week I said there would be no 1% Better show this week. And the reason behind that was because I was going to launch the spin-off podcast called The 864 this week, today or tomorrow. But earlier in the week I had a lot going on so I've kind of decided to do a bit of replanning. Next week I have a vacation week and as I was thinking it out, if I rolled out The 864 this weekend and a few episodes next week, it would be probably not really a vacation at all. And I feel I need a little bit of a digital detox for at least a few days so I've moved things around I'm going to push that to next weekend and this weekend today it's Thursday maybe Friday when you're listening I am releasing a 1% better episode that I know you're going to enjoy. So we'll get to that in a second. But just on the 864, I have, I think, nine episodes now recorded, maybe 10. And the first five are actually on the patreon.com Rob of the Green site. So Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com Rob of the Green link on the show notes. So if you are interested in checking out the intro show and first four full episodes where I'm talking to internationally and nationally well-known and recognizable guests, believe me, they are. They were brilliant to come onto the show and give me their time to do it you can check those out on patreon just a small subscription fee it's a monthly thing i'm hoping to grow that over the next months and years potentially and it would enable me to release more episodes more frequently get an editor do all that good stuff but they're there and if you did want to nearly listen knock yourself out they're there if not some of them will be trickled out late next week and the following week on the website and itunes and all of those other great platforms that you can hear them on for free for now they're there on patreon okay so that's a plug for the 864 the patreon sign up to the newsletter so that you do get a notified when that podcast is in the public domain as always there'll be lots of info around it on facebook and instagram and twitter so go to at rob of the green on those sites and you'll find it there okay two other quick ones last week i released a blog on dry 18 the adventure that i'm going on nearly halfway through if you want to check that out it's on the site weekly releasing the one minute monday videos don't think there'll be one next monday digital detox is in force so probably not going to do it but who knows we'll see something comes to me i might all right so back to the one percent better show so just to let you know the one percent better podcast will continue maybe the next couple of weekends as i roll out some of the initial episodes of the 864 i will take a break it's difficult to get it all out i don't want to smother people with too much content either but i have a bunch of other shows recorded for this and will be rolling those out over the next number of weeks i know some of the folks i have recorded with are probably cursing me on a daily basis because i haven't released their episodes yet sorry about that trust me they will come and hopefully they will go down very well so last week was Dermot Mannion, a gentleman, an esteemed guest and a guy that has great experience in leadership. Listening is the thing that stood out for me, how he actually brings listening and presence to his roles. Very, very impressed with that. Honestly, if you haven't listened to it, the guy has a lot of great nuggets of wisdom, as I said before, to share. And it's well worth taking an hour out while you're cutting the grass, going for a walk or a run or whatever to hear highly recommend it so that was Dermot Mannion and and the topic was very much around development leadership coaching so I thought this week would be a perfect opportunity a perfect time for me to release the episode I recorded a number of weeks back with John Eads so John is the CEO of LearnLoft 
an organization which is focused on developing the modern professional. He's also the author of FML, Standing Out and Being a Leader. So that's Follow My Lead, Standing Out and Being a Leader. And he's also the host of a very well-known podcast, Follow My Lead. John has a vision for the world where every modern professional adds value to his or her organization and I really got a sense from our conversation that he means it. He's genuine, he's honest, he's a ex-golf professional and he talks about the lessons in failure that he took from that that have set him up for success later in life. In the hour we covered a lot of ground. As I said, he's honest, he's a genuine guy, he's made mistakes, he's learned from them both professionally and personally and is growing and becoming better and better himself and hence he's the perfect 1% better guest. So I I guess I've talked a lot and I didn't even mention the standing outside the fire discussion we had during the show which you will get into. I didn't think Garth Brooks would play such a prominent role in this podcast but as you'll hear John is very much a standing inside the fire guy. With that hopefully I've whetted your appetite. Please do enjoy the conversation with John Eads. Have a great week and good luck. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 1% Better Podcast and I am delighted to introduce my guest today, John Eads. He is the CEO of LearnLoft and he's also a fellow podcaster with a very successful podcast called Follow My Lead. John, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. So John, I'm really looking forward to talking through your, your journey, uh, certainly around podcasting, certainly around your company and but typically, I like to go back in time a little bit and maybe get a bit of perspective, context on who you are growing up and uh, figuring out what you know ambitions were like when, when you were growing up. The first question I sometimes ask is, and I'll put you on the spot, what's your earliest memory or what memory comes up when you think right back to the first thing you can ever recall? I have one of the worst memories of all time, Rob. <laughs> uh, I can barely remember yesterday. Uh but my, but I I say that jokingly because many people remember their childhood like a vivid picture. Mm-hmm. I I have two brothers. I'm one of three. Uh, grew up in a healthy home with uh, loving parents. A strong faith component to my childhood. Um, always a good athlete. But my my most vivid memory, only because I have a six year old son, and he plays soccer now. And when I was about his age. My 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 mom invited all of her family to watch me play soccer because I was a pretty good player, and they put me in a brand new pair of shoes, but I didn't like the way they looked. It had three lines on them that I didn't like, and I whined and I cried and I didn't want to wear them in this soccer game with all our family there. And I told my parents, I said, I will not wear these. You know, six years old. And uh, they said, you're wearing them, you're going to, you like it or not. So I get out there to the game and uh, the, I didn't move. <laughs> they put me on the field and I stood in the middle of the field looking at my parents uh. Uh, saying that I'm, I'm, I'm here in your shoes, but it's not the way I wanted to do it. And so that's probably my earliest memory. <laughs> so my follow on question to that was, were you a stubborn child? Were you uh, getting your own way? I think that's a fair, I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. I mean, what kid goes out there, Rob, and doesn't move on a soccer field uh, just in spite of their parents at six years old? I, I, I don't know. I don't know why, but uh, uh, my, my love of shoes has continued, though. I, I'm very I, – I love shoes, and I, I like to have uh, – I think I have more pairs of shoes than my wife, so <laughs> it's continued. 
so so soccer was a big thing for you growing up like obviously in from ireland soccer gaelic football is our big sport here as you might know but soccer is definitely number two follow the premiership follow english football i know in the u.s i suppose the mls might have around 1994 world cup and then the mls kicked off around then where did soccer originate or why why was that a big thing you know i've you know with three boys in a house we played every sport and right. soccer was just one of them i've i've come to love soccer uh, or football as you guys would say mm-hmm. uh, my colleague mark houston is a an englishman and so he's a big villa fan and right. so uh you know I, I think soccer's i'm promoting it with my son uh because i think it's really the future of american sport mm. um you know, with all of the concussion stuff going on in American football, yeah. you know, in 15, 20 years, what is, I think soccer is only going to continue to grow and get better here. It's sad that we're not going to be in the world cup, but, uh, mm. but sometimes that failure can boost the future. And I'm hoping that's what happens with American soccer, where instead of just kind of being run of the mill in the world cup, um, all of a sudden you don't make it. And I, I think it's going to create a new motivation and a, and a new vigor around the sport. And at least that's what I'm hoping for. Very good. I was actually in the U.S. the last time the World Cup was on when the U.S. were playing. I remember it was a, right. a, day, a daytime game and we went to a bar to watch it. I was taking a half day maybe when I was there. And there was a real buzz around it at, at that stage. And I think there would have been such a even a, an acceleration of that if they had qualified for the world cup i was genuinely disappointed that they they didn't um especially bo- with the mls expanding and lots of new teams coming along so but yeah it's still it's still growing in popularity right there there it is i, I think the the lesson here though is that when you it's not a part of our dna rob so mm-hmm. if you think of it from an organization perspective or from whatever you do you know when you're competing against countries where football is their dna from age two years old on i mean soccer is what they do it's their passion um and then in america you're it is in our dna in fact it's like our fourth or fifth sport so um it it it, it's it takes almost a culture shift to get that those results to change and if you look at what it is we do even from a work perspective, you know, it starts with behaviors, Mm -hmm. behaviors become habits, habits become results until the behaviors of our parents and our families, you know, get more into soccer. I don't know that the end result changes much because you can't just have, we play this kind of long ball game, Rob, where we're just Mm -hmm. pitch it to Josie Altador and he's not all that. I mean, he's a good player, but he's not that great of a player. And that the skill has to get better and the camaraderie and the belief in that we can be a successful soccer country has to change. And I think that starts with early on. Yeah, very good. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a, a soccer podcast another day, maybe. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, good, good conversation there. Sport, though, you mentioned was very big in your life growing up. And I know you've obviously gone on to, to play golf at a professional level. When did when did that come into play? Or was was it always sport or was there other ambitions for uh, for John as he grew up? You've mentioned that word ambition twice. I've I've explored this word a lot because I'm not sure it's always a good thing. Right. Uh, I've always been an ambitious person, but. For much of my life, Rob, that ambition was selfish, right. and that ambition uh, 
hurt other people. And so while it might have been a key to some of my athletic success um, from a golf perspective, you know, I played college golf at the University of Maryland and then went on to play three or four years professionally before giving it up. But um, it, it helped me think about what I needed to do in order to be as successful as I possibly could. Having said that, at times, it took a toll on others. And when I, you know, I'm, I wasn't thinking of others' feelings or thinking of the way others were perceiving me or treating people poorly to kind of get where I was trying to go. I was in a lot of ways, Rob, I was stepping on others to get where I was trying to go. And um, and and we we have a model that we teach uh, called the leadership compound, and it actually comes from this where. Um, there's four circles, Rob, and the top two circles, what we believe every teammate should have is is confidence. And the second circle is drive. So the top two circles, you have confidence and drive. And if you only bring those two things to work or to your team or to anything, it's what we call the jackass compound. Right. It's 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 that ambition that we're just talking about, right? We need to be confident, which can absolutely be taught. We need to be driven. You need to be able to get up out of bed and go. You, you don't have to pull me out of bed in the morning, right? Much mm -hmm. like you. Um, but if we only bring those two things together, we're, it's, we're not great teammates. We're only thinking of ourselves. We're me people. And that's what I was for many years. Um, and I know how, how difficult that is for other people. Um, there's an old, there's an old uh, African proverb that I, I use all the time, which is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so that ambition, that golf mentality that I have, I was going by myself. Um, and so the bottom two half of that, that leadership compound is selflessness, that humility, thinking of other people, putting other people before yourself. And then the other is character, high character, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to you as an individual. So, and if you only bring those bottom two things to work, Rob, it's what we call the cordial compound or just too nice. Right. So what we're really trying to do is get people that bring all four of those things together every single day. And that's what we call the leadership compound. So to kind of make a really long winded answer to your question early in my life, I only brought those top two circles and now I'm looking to bring all four. Very good. So was there, so was there, was there a turning point then, John, when you started to say, maybe I shouldn't be so quote unquote selfish and, and start thinking of others or incorporating others opinions? Yeah, of course. Uh, I was, I was, I always took my faith seriously, Rob. Right. Um, it, you know, it was a big part of my life growing up. But when I really um, understood that I couldn't do it alone, uh, and for me, it's my Christian faith. I'm a Catholic. Um, but when when that when when it when I fully understood that I couldn't do it alone, and that that God and what Jesus had done for me, it really changed my perspective a great deal. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I, I felt like it was all John's responsibility and someone else had helped me along the way. And that was a big move. And then about that time, I met a woman named Amy. Her last name was Ellis. Her last name is now Eats. Um, but, it, but it was, we went running one day, Rob. I've never told this story. Okay. We went running one day and 
I'm not a big runner, but you know, I, I can, I get around. She loves to run. And we were, we'd probably been dating about a year and we run about five miles. We get to where we were going and I was just exhausted and I was laying on the floor and I said something to her that I shouldn't have said. And she just let me have it, man. She was like, so shallow, only thinking of yourself. She just really let me have it. Right. And I'll never forget after she left the room, I was laying there on the floor, Rob. And I just said, man, the, the problem isn't her. The problem is me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just only thinking of myself. And so in those two moments kind of combined and they kind of happened at the same time seven years ago. But, um, yeah, that, that moment was very defining for me because I thought if I'm ever going to have a successful relationship, uh, and one day have a family and have kids, I can't think about myself all the time. And then now that I run my own business and I have team members, the same is true there, right? If I'm only thinking about myself or what's best for John, my team will not give the best possible things that they can give and we won't get where we're trying to go it, it's all it's all intertwined if you will. Mm, there's a well i guess what i'm taking from that though is that it happened at a young age you were quite young sometimes that sort of breakthrough or realization around being selfless as opposed to selfish doesn't happen to people till a lot later in life so maybe that's a, a good thing as well yeah and to think i'm i'm special i would be kidding myself right um so so much of life it's about you know the people in it the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, everybody's talked about, a lot of people have talked about, you are what, you know, the five people you, you're yeah. most closely align yourself with. And I think that's a, I mean, while it's so cliche, it is so true. Um, if you're surrounding yourself around selfish people that are only thinking of themselves, that are only after you know, going out to have a good time or party or drink or, you know, anything that's going to make me feel good, you're going to probably act a lot like that. Uh, conversely, if you're surrounding yourself with people that are going somewhere, that are working to help make an impact on other people, that are, you know, out to build something greater than themselves, you'll probably look to mimic that. Um, so I think, I think that's a big part of it where I, all these, I'm going to get on the soapbox here just for a second, but we, we think there's an age for everything and that we should be this by this age or this by this age. And the truth is we're one stoplight away. We're one doctor's appointment away from that perspective on age being changed in an instant. Mm -hmm. And so why wait? Mm -hmm. Like, why wait? If you're a selfish person today, why wait until you're 55 years old or 60 years old to say, I'm going to start thinking about other people? It makes no sense. In fact, if you wait that long, Rob, by its very nature, your relationships in your life are going to be much worse at 55 or 60 than you would if you changed at 25. Um, so I know that's not an easy thing to, to, to flip on, but there was a guy we had on the podcast. He, he talked about, he gave this perspective about oh, a light, like a candle. Um, and he goes, most people, particularly men, that 
as they get older, their their light starts to dwindle and it gets darker and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer before it's black. And he goes, what you really want in life is you want that light to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter as you get older. And he goes, so often, the vast majority of people, it gets dimmer. Mm. And that that mental image always played a big, has a big, has made a big impact on me because I think, am I doing things today that make my life, that, that light shine brighter as I get older? Or am I doing things today that makes that, that, that candle get dimmer? Interesting. I, I can certainly connect with it. I think just when we were talking off air, you know, talking about my own journey and whatnot, I, I definitely personally feel that my life is getting brighter than, than dimmer, but it was probably getting dimmer for, for a long time, just until I figured out a bit more about myself and gone through some suffering and some pain and some realizations that I think you, you kind of might've went through your, yourself from that perspective. You talked about faith being very important as well. One of the things that helped me figure out myself a lot is really landing on kind of core values and what, what are, what are really important to me and, using those as a, a guiding light or something to, to actually make decisions around. Have you ha had always a good sense of what your values were and who you were or when did those start to form clearly? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so much of our, our world, particularly mine, we have absolutely nothing to do with, right? I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose being white. I didn't choose growing up in America or being American. Um, and, and all four of those are enormous advantages that I have that I did nothing for. Um, and so much of what I believe those values, those foundations, those principles are in our life are taught when we're young and we have absolutely no control over. And I was so lucky to have two parents that instilled um, that that faith system in me, that right and wrong system in me. While I do think we all have a DNA of right and wrong that we're, we're given, whether no matter who your parents are, I think that goes a long way early. And I was blessed to have that. Um, and, and certainly you continue to evolve it and grow it and develop it as you get older, probably similar, maybe you're reconnecting with some of those values. Mm -hmm. um, but I was lucky in that regard. Very good. When you were was going through college, was there other folks that you had influenced or were influenced by that stood out that kind of helped you along the way? Well, I think there's always people. There's always individuals, right, that that you could go in your memory and say, man, that person had a huge impact. Um, but, you know, I think the big jump for me and I think for anyone listening to be able to think about because – there is absolutely nothing wrong with being proactive and finding the right people in your life. Certainly, um, meetings happen uh, by chance or by faith. If you think God has a part in that, I certainly do. But certainly those meetings happen. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with being proactive. And I'll give you a perfect example in a story. Uh, I was not a reader. In fact, I took my education almost laughingly serious uh, because of sports. I just thought I would always be a professional golfer. I never put in a lot of effort to my education. And then when I quit playing golf and I started working, 
I don't know, it was like a light bulb went off that I needed to read. And I just started devouring. I just started reading and listening to podcasts. And I mean, that it like triggered something in me. My first job was working for a company called Sales Performance International. And they had a sales training program. Um, and I would I would watch this sales training program happen, this two and a half day workshop. And I saw what it did to people's lives. It was stuff that they weren't taught in college, but it had so much value, Rob. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, that's incredible, mm-hmm. right? Like they didn't teach me that in college. And this stuff works. This stuff I can apply in life. Like NLP type stuff, was it? It, it was a, is a, is a sales methodology called solution selling. Okay. But it was a, but it was that it was like that stuff they weren't teaching you in university or in college that like, man, I can actually go apply this. I can use this in my life. Mm. And that was a big trigger for me. So I started reading a lot, Rob, and um, someone gave me a book called The Energy Bus. It's a, by an author named John Gordon. And John is a fantastic man. He's come on the podcast. But cool. this to, to make the connection to being proactive and building your network and finding the people is I really wanted to meet John. Hmm. He was doing what I wanted to do. Right. And I really wanted to meet him. And instead of going to a conference where he was going to be speaking and coming up to him after and shaking his hand, hmm. I sent John an email and I said, you don't know me, but your writings made a big impact on me, big impact on my thinking. I know you have a daughter going to Clemson my whole family went to Clemson and I said, I would love to meet you at a Clemson football game. Right. So you could see your daughter and we could meet. Cool. And sure enough, he responded. He said, yes, let me get back to you with a few dates. And so this is where the story gets great. Uh, We meet at a Clemson game about six, eight months later. He met me for 45 minutes before a game and during that meeting, I asked him a question. He was been working with the Clemson football team. And I said, what makes this football coach, Davo Sweeney, so special? Mm-hmm. Such a great leader. What does he do? And he just looked at me and he said, I've never seen a guy that uses love and discipline like him. Mm. And as a parent, as someone that leads a team at work, those two words just stuck in my head like glue. And uh, since that meeting, Rob, some three years ago, you know, it's become the core of what we do as a business is we studied 22,000 leaders around love and discipline. So to bring it full circle, Mm. without me being proactive in reaching out to him and him having an open heart to mentor me and now, you know, we'll exchange emails and talk or whatever, but you got to be proactive in those people that can help you get where you're going, but not in a selfish way, in a learning way, in mm. a, and I just want to get to know you more. I want to learn how you got to where you are. I never asked him for one thing, mm. right? Um, other than to go see his daughter and spend a couple minutes with me. <laughs> that, was, um, that was a good end though, but, but yeah, the authenticity and the wanting to learn as a, as a, I guess as a value is, is massively important there you know i've probably sent emails to to a lot of folks and obviously connect with you and again thanks for for coming on to the show Mm -hmm. it's you know there is probably a small percentage of folks that will 
actually come back and you probably have to be on a similar i don't know on a similar plane or or, or certain things aligned do you, do you believe that did any of actually your techniques you might have learned in the selling uh, the sales performance international was there any kind of subtle approaches that you can apply in when you're trying to engage with people not in the wrong way not in a kind of a manipulative way but in a way to to try and get them on board uh, well i mean absolutely right i mean i think everybody's selling every day whether they know it or not Right. I mean, I'm selling my wife at home every night, not in a sales way, like the, 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 you know, the used car salesman kind of way, but we're all selling every single day. Mm. You're selling every day. I'm selling every day. Our listeners, you're selling something. It just might not be for a product in exchange for money. Yeah. Uh, so I think certainly the biggest thing I learned is buy, you know, buyer alignment, meaning, thinking of it not from your shoes but from of the buyer's perspective what are the things that they're going through at this point that you can align with to help you so i'll i'll give you a concrete example um i think everybody you know they kind of have that influencer that they like to go to think of like a gary vaynerchuk or a you know a uh you you name Johnny's. i mean everybody no, well, that's that's I appreciate that, but but my point is is it, early on when you want to get those people's attention, you go through channels where you think you'll get their attention, mm. and you kind of come at it from a perspective to help yourself, versus coming at it from the perspective of how could I help them, how could I be proactive in helping them. Um, and if you think of it from the perspective of John Gordon, who's influenced millions of people with his writing, and I would just I helped him by getting to see his daughter. He might have gone anyways, but it was just and he could have said no, but who doesn't want to go see their daughter? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um and so I think there's something to that where how can you help them? I just saw a video um of a guy in Canada. I don't know him um at all, but he has this barter system email and he wanted to get to Gary and he saw him after a conference and he said, and he said, I'll tweet at you. Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be great. Nothing happened. Instead, what he did was he found someone, he knew someone that had D rocks, uh, the Instagram handle D rock, who's Gary's video guy. Right. And in exchange for a meeting with Gary, he got D rock an Instagram handle. D Rock. Right, right, right. And so for getting the the Instagram handle for D Rock, he got a meeting with Gary. Okay. And and I think there's something to that where it's like if you're trying to build a better network, if you're trying to surround yourself around more people that you want to be like or you want to learn from, find ways to help them and I promise, I promise they will help you. Mm, I like it. I'm actually scribbling quid quid pro quo on my whiteboard here because that's effectively it what means, it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Th that is that is a quid pro quo is to give. You know, it's a, it's an old saying. We actually taught it in solution selling. Right. Quid pro quo when you're in negotiations. Yeah. Get, uh, you know this for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, and it is. It's it's a brilliant idea because I think all the times, although you probably want to when like i sent an email at the weekend to maybe a local newspaper to see if they'd partner or connect with the podcast in some way or another and even though maybe i wasn't explicitly saying quid pro quo in my mind i was offering something for them and 
something for me as well now you mightn't get anything back out of it but i think having that as your kind of mantra or something when you're going out to help somebody else um and what you get in return makes total sense so no thanks for sharing that i love when i talk to these guests and new stuff comes up or things become clear that's uh always very enjoyable but i think the the big thing to take away from is and I, if, just keep this in mind because i get a lot of I get a lot of messages, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's almost always a connection followed by a sales email mm -hmm. or a sales email. It's like connecting, you're the man, blah, blah, blah. And then a day later, it's like, oh, because we've connected, yeah. here's this thing I'm selling. That is not the way to do it. Yeah, That is not building a relationship. It's not being authentic. It's not helpful to me. Um, so it doesn't matter who it is, but I just want to keep that. I don't, I'm fine if you're selling, but do it in a way that's authentic to help somebody else, not to get what you're trying to get. Mm, great tip. Yeah. Hopefully folks listening will, will take that up. And obviously I must've done something okay to you then uh, when, when you connected back with me. <laughs> so I mustn't have been trying to, I'm not selling you anything. Um, no, no, that's right. Before we kind of continue on, I, I'm just fascinated about the golf story. And one of your lines, I think you had on your LinkedIn was to say how it helps you, how, how to, to deal with failure. Um, can you maybe talk to me a bit about that? Yeah. So golf is a, is an incredible sport in the fact it's almost like baseball. I know you guys aren't big baseball over there, but you know, the best baseball players in the world hit 300. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one out of every three or three. four at bats, they get a hit. Mm. Well, golf is the most humbling game because you're trying to hit a ball that's still, and it's incredibly hard. Um, and you could you can play for years and years and years and never win a golf tournament, even as a high-level college player or a high-level professional player. And if you win one or two tournaments a year, you had an incredible year. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. think about that. If you played 30 events in a year and you won one, you're, you're batting one of 30. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it requires such um, – courage to to keep getting up not thinking or and really belief in yourself that the next round and the next shot is going to be better hmm. because if you only looked at the results rob you would quit you would yeah. quit because yeah. you don't win um or you finish 30th or you finish 15th or you yeah, yeah. miss a cut um you would just quit you'd get you'd pick a different sport that's for sure so it really taught me um about failure because Getting, having the courage to get up and do it again, even after not winning, is half the battle in this life. Um, I, I kind of, I've thought about this a lot. There's a, there's a, I don't know if you know who the musician Garth Brooks is. I do. He's a very popular Garth. in Ireland for sure. Okay, this guy's, he's the, I think he's the best performer on the planet. If you go to a live concert, I, whether you like country music or not, this guy just is incredible performer. Mm -hmm. And he's got a song called Standing Outside the Fire. I know it, yeah. It's incredible. It's right, the best. right, right. Um, but there's something to this song about, you know, being in the arena or being in the fire, standing outside it. You know, so many people stand outside the fire in fear that I'll fail 
or in fear that I won't get the traction that I want or fear and whatever you're writing or whatever it may be. And I try to teach my kids and I teach my team all the time. Like we might fail. We might not make it. You never know, but we certainly won't do it if we're not trying. Mm -hmm. And so I love that idea of being in the fire, being in the arena. Um, last week I went and did a TEDx audition and, and I pra practiced a lot for it. I, I put in more work for that audition than I've ever put in. I'm kind of a, you know, go with the flow and shoot, shoot or shoot right at the end. Yeah, kind of yeah. Procrastinator, I guess you could say. But I put in a lot of work for this, uh, more work than I ever have. And that five minute audition, I did well, but I could have done better. And I don't mm. know. We don't know. We don't know if we got it yet or not, Rob. But right, right. I will say that. I told Christina, my teammate, when we were driving home, I said, I don't know if we'll get it or not. I know I could have done a better job and I, and I apologize for not doing a better job for her and the team, but I would rather fail trying than not try at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, I like and, it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's so cliche, but I mean, how will you ever know? How will you ever make an impact? I mean, the the emails, the in-mails, the LinkedIn messages. I mean, last week I got I got 25 messages from people talking about the podcast and how big of an impact it's made on their life or one interview or, you know, this blog. And it's like, if I had never shot, if I had been worried about the failure, yeah. I would have never impacted those people's lives. Mm. And whether I, whether we sell millions of books or, you know, whatever it does. It almost is irrelevant at this point. It's like shoot or shoot, man, get in the game. Yeah. Is that, um, I, I totally agree. And talking about the podcast, remember last year I wrote an article about the whole imposter syndrome myself of, I was coming at this with no background in podcasting or I wasn't famous or any of that stuff that a lot of podcasters come out with or you know they already have a name so it's really going for it and getting inside the fire as you you said I, I totally agree do you feel that it, it's a habit almost then that you kind of develop of if you're not naturally used to standing inside the fire that once you get in there it's addictive and you're just going to keep going and keep chasing it and in a positive way do you find that i do think it it um everything comes down to habits so an, a habit is something you do so often it becomes the very essence of your being it's something that you do subconsciously. It's like when you, you get up in the morning and you take a shower, that's a habit. Um, a behavior is something you do consciously, something that right. you have to you have to think about doing. Um, starts be, Behaviors become habits, so it's something you have to start to think about doing. Right. In the world of standing in the fire or is it a positive um, that you, you keep going, I, I think – at the end of the day, you know, it, it is a habit. It takes some courage to keep doing it because the first 10 podcasts we did, you know, we got a hundred listens per show max. Right? <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. you, I could get no one to listen. I mean, the first five LinkedIn articles I wrote, I'm pretty sure no one read it except my, my teammates. Right. I mean, mm. I'm not even sure my wife read them. Right. Uh, and then to think that we wrote some articles that were read by 250,000 people, mm. um, I could have quit after five, right? Mm -hmm. Because no one was reading, no one was listening, but it was that 
I want to stand in the fire. I want to keep learning. I want to keep going. And I want to make an impact on the lives of other people that kept us going, not worried about the results, but worried about the behaviors and the habits that were important. And then if you can focus on the process, if you will, of, in my case, scheduling the best interviews that I could, asking the best questions that I could, writing the best articles that I could, if I could focus on that, the, the results would either take, they'd either take care of themselves or not, but I, I can't control that anyways. Mm-hmm. You can't control that anyways. You can't control how your listeners, the, the message that they take from this podcast. You might think you know the best message that comes from this podcast. Mm-hmm. Something I said might hit somebody else's life in a completely different way, and that is fine. Yeah. So I, I just like the idea of sticking with it. And there's something about those individuals that say, I'm committing to keep going that is attractive to me and, and I want to help them. Yeah. Good message. Yeah, I agree so much what you're saying there. And, and the point you just made that stands out is that, yeah, listening back to, I'm sure listening back to this podcast, there's a few things that I'm going to just absolutely latch on to that. Wow, that's really big for me. And then there's one thing that somebody else is going to dive into and say that's the the game changer for them. And that's that's what's so fascinating about sharing these stories for me and hopefully for for others as they listen for for sure. Brilliant. Um. So so I, I'm kind of bringing you through your timeline in a roundabout way here, which is which is really mm-hmm. interesting. When you left the enterprise sales and sales performance international, was that another turning point for you? Was there the point I think when you decided you wanted to kind of go out on your own and really say, right, I'm getting into the fire again here, and here here we go. This is what I'm about. Yeah, I, I think there's two. I'll, I'll certainly. It was the biggest moment in, in my professional life for sure. Um, but I think there's an important thing to know here. You can stand in the fire working in a big company. Mm-hmm. You can you don't have to be out on your own being an entrepreneur to stand in the fire. And and it's in fact, I would argue that standing on your own in the fire, not equipped without products that could be successful or without defining how you're going to help people could actually be the wrong way to stand in the fire. Yeah. Because these big companies, they need help too. Sure. Right. Um, here's an example. Uh, there's a guy that I met here in Charlotte. He reached out after listening to the podcast and he works with a really big pharma company and he wants to go on his own. And I was like, and he kept talking about the communication failure within this company. And I'm like, well, what if you just started a podcast internally for that company to better help communication? Mm-hmm. He did it. Right. Okay. So all of a sudden he's helping create better communication in this really large company through doing the things that he's passionate about. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to go out on his own. Um, he could eventually, but I, I think that's one big cheeky takeaway yeah. that I've learned is that you don't have to be out on your own to stand in the fire. Um, the second, go ahead. I was just going to come in on that one and maybe you'll get to it. But I think from, from my own view of the, of, of some of these conversations as well, that sometimes he, that person wants control and wants freedom. And maybe in that instance, they need to be in a different fire, not in, and who knew we were going to talk about the Garth Brooks song for most of this, this but, uh, <laughs> but like they need those two kind of ingredients, maybe. So maybe on their own is their only uh, way to go. But that's just a, an observation, I guess. Yeah, it, it absolutely could be, right? I mean, uh, if you're working for a bad boss um, or an environment that doesn't promote 
creative thinking and trying new things and, you know, uh, then you're, you probably do, you know, Mm -hmm. but each situation is different and you're a coach, you get that. I mean, you take each situation independently, knowing what someone's, uh, tolerance for risk is and, you know, whether they could thrive in that environment in a better or different way. Sometimes you can't, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes the workplace is toxic or the boss is bad. I mean, uh, where it it doesn't matter what you do or how creative you get, you're never going to thrive there and it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's a very interesting point. I, I, there's certainly, I'm all about people going on their own, but, um, but you know, big organizations need that too. So, I, I, I left Sales Performance International. Um, I thought I knew exactly what I wanted to go do. I wanted to build this learning technologies company. Um, I had a small team. We had rebuilt some software, and we were about nine, ten months in, and things just were not going like I wanted. In fact, they were going really poorly. Um, we were losing money every month. It was a real struggle. We couldn't get people on the platform. And I took one of my better employees and I said, I have, I have to, I have to make some changes and I let her go. Right. Fired her. Okay. And I mean, the blame had to fall somewhere, right? It couldn't be my fault. Of course not. Uh, and so I called her in my office and she didn't know what was about to happen. And I, and I, I let her go. And at the end of that meeting, she looked me right in the eyes, Rob. And she said, I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what we were doing. And I didn't know how I was helping us get there. And as she walked out of my office, her words just hit me like a ton of bricks that the problem was not her at all. The problem was me from a leadership perspective. I had, I just failed my team from a leadership perspective. And, and so I, why I say that that was the biggest moment in my life, particularly professionally, it was because instead of building this learning technologies company, I, I kid you not, I put my head in my hands and I said a prayer right then. I said, God, I know this happened for a reason. Uh, and I'm not going to let that failure define me. And so that's why we got on the leadership development track. I mean, that's why we became a content company because I didn't want to let that experience happen to anyone else and not just for me or for them but most importantly rob because leadership is about other people so the people that i was actually hurting were the the was the woman that left my office that i had to fire it it, yeah it hurt me but it really was hurting her and it was hurting the rest of my team my leadership failure was hurting my people more than me and so and so that really was where our purpose became, and that's why we started the podcast, and that's why we started writing, and that's why we've built, you know, seven leadership development programs and assessments and surveys and all that kind of good stuff. So that's where that transition from being an entrepreneur and, you know, wanting to build this software company that was going to get sold for millions and millions and millions of dollars, and then figuring out that... Um, I failed from a leadership perspective and that's what got us on the leadership development track. So that's really, you know, my failure became my purpose to help other people. Very good. Do you think that was the in culture was the environment? Was it that, that, that the other team members couldn't talk to you about where they were going at the time that it had to come to that point? 
It's a good question. A lot of driven type A people think that if people aren't like that, they're not going to be successful or they're not going to help get where you're trying to go. And in fact, that's wrong. It's just wrong. And I, I think I had a vision for me, my hand needing to be in everything. I had to help make every decision. I had to work, you know, a hundred hour weeks and I still work really hard and I don't, and I, and I, that is super important. Um, but not, not everybody does it your way and that is okay. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I wasn't providing a vision for where we were trying to go and using their brain to help us figure out how to get there and be creative and do different things. Uh, it was a, it was the John show and it, and it was quickly running us right into the ground. And so, uh, that moment changed me and I'm, I hope that anyone listening, I was the classic micromanager and it was and it, it almost killed us. Right. Interesting stuff. So from, from there, from that failure you've turned into a big success so maybe talk to me and i'm conscious of time i know you probably have to get to something else soon enough as well talk to me about the last couple of years and how things have grown and exploded and how you as a leader have developed and you know how the business has developed well it was in that you know it was in that moment that that i woke up the next day and i just said i'm gonna go do everything i can i'm just gonna it it just became i Became my it, it's become more than golf ever was, which is crazy, right? To think that I love golf so much that I was going to do it for my profession. To think that now I wake up every day just so excited to learn and then teach other people how to become a better leader. Um, I'm more passionate about that than I ever was about golf, which is such a cool thought, right? Mm-hmm. That I can be that passionate about something that um, – and when you think about success, I mean, I, I was with two friends this weekend and uh, we have a new 90 day leadership program that we created from a podcast guest. And the first question I'm asking everyone on this journey is how do you define success? Mm-hmm. And for many years, I thought success was monetary. I thought it was cars and houses and, you know, being able to do what you want to do all the time. Right. And I've come to define success a completely different way. And so what I'm asking everyone that's going on this 90-day journey with us is how do you define success today? And then hopefully at the end of 90 days, we're defining it somewhat differently. And so I define success today as making an impact on the lives of other people and the quality of the relationships closest to me. And not just, you know, surface level, the, 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 can, can Rob and I have a, ser- a quality of a relationship where I can help you on your walk and you can help me on mine? Uh, and if I can do those two things at a really high level, I've been successful. The monetary stuff will come. And so I, I think taking that perspective of you say you've had this success, that's the way I'm defining success. Mm-hmm. And then now the habits and the behaviors and the things that I do every single day are out to make those two things reality. And so we write a weekly column on Inc.com. You know, last year we reached 2.2 million people with our writing. You know, the podcast has reached over 300,000 people. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and we're not even there yet. We're just getting started, which is the cool part. Um, mm. 
so, you know, it was a big honor to be named one of LinkedIn's top voices last year in workplace and management. Um, I was, that was really cool to think all the work that we've put in, all the time that we've put in um, to be recognized in that fashion. But, you know, that's just a, that's a, a small icing on the cake. It's the email that you get from a 23-year-old that says, I just took a new job because I didn't want to be in that environment anymore because of the lessons that you've taught. I mean, that'll fill you up like nothing, man. <laughs> it's like yeah. the best. No, um, so that, that's the way I, I, I know that's a long winded answer, but I, it, you know, your listeners just know that if it's only about money and if it's only about prestige for yourself, you'll never truly be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. You'll always be chasing the next thing. And I was watching uh, 60 Minutes last night. Pope Francis was on. There's a, there's a, there's a documentary coming out about Pope Francis, which I'm interested in seeing. But he said something similar, and he basically says that if we're only ever chasing that fame and that money, that you know, it does, it, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And so, um, versus if you're if you're out chasing impact and the quality of relationships in your life. It, it will be enough. And so uh, think of it that way. What's resonating with me, what you're saying there is what I've been just hearing in, in lots of areas in the last while. It's just be that person of value rather than that person of success. You know, if you take care of the value, I think that's an Einstein quote I've heard a few people quoting. And if you can focus I think, on... I, I think John, uh, John Maxwell said significance over success. And I think that's, you know, I mean, it's it's just true, right? I mean, can you have a life of significance? And... I would argue that that's what you're doing here, right? What you're what you're working to do okay. is to be significant versus yeah. successful. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with making lots of money. And I mean that. I mean, you can't run your business without money. I can't run mine, right? Um, I can't pay my employees. We can't provide for families. I mean, yes, we have to make money. There's no doubt about it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with money and making lots of it. Um, it's just... What are you ultimately trying to do with it? Is it, is it to just have a calling card to say I've made a billion dollars or is it to go do something great with it? And I think that's a really good question that people should be asking themselves. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. And one thing that, again, jumps up for me is when, when you think about, you know, if, you make a, if, you, if you're successful and make lots of money, maybe when I was younger, certain things like a house, a car, traveling around all the time are the things that come to mind now they don't really ever come to mind it's 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 actually just oh wow i could maybe release more episodes of the podcast or get more content (laughs) out there it's it's you know it's how that mindset changes and it's been true a lot of these conversations and just generally trying to work and and learn more and more so it's uh it's really interesting i'm going to wrap up with a couple of fast ones john if if that's okay if you have a couple more minutes I kind of like to kind of pick at a few different areas. You, you talked about faith a lot and, and religion, which, you know, as a Catholic in Ireland, there's probably, you know, con- mm. comparisons there. And you mentioned the, the Pope. He's actually coming to Ireland this year. Uh, Francis cool. is coming first time in 30 years or something like that. Now, I wouldn't be a very practicing at, at all, but I've got into meditation over the last few years a lot. And I know that's, again, probably a bit of a buzz people are on. But how do you kind of compare meditation to kind of religion and praying? And is that something? you kind of get that presence from i love this question and i love that you asked it because uh it's a deep one and that shows the quality of the work that you're doing i'm really jacked that you asked it um i've thought about this a lot 
uh, there's a guy that came on our podcast. Uh, his name is Bob Bodine. And Bob Bodine uh, wrote a book. Of first, uh, he's written a couple books, but he say, they say he's the most powerful man in sports you've never heard of. Right. And he's an eight, he's an eight, he's a executive recruiter. So when a soccer team needs a new general manager or a, you know major league baseball needs a new commissioner, he's often tapped to find that guy or woman. And but he wrote a book called Two Chairs. And he came on the podcast and he taught me some lessons that I'll, I use the rest of my life. And it's incredible. Um, but, but he wrote a book called two chairs and this guy isn't a pastor. He's not a, you know, he's just a, he's just a faith filled guy. And the whole idea behind two chairs is that every day you should wake up and have two chairs, one for you and one for God. Now, and you should just spend time right there, right when you wake up, before you look at your phone, before you do anything, you should be, spend time with just you and God. Now, I know the rage today is meditation. And, you know, um, for me, it's a it's a decent replacement for not thinking about yourself, um, but being present and spending time to be calm and to be faithful in, in just letting your mind settle. I think that's great. Um I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that was a big price to pay. And so um, to to find any other replacement for that in my prayer life, I think, is a disservice. And so it doesn't mean that I'm not for meditation, right? I mean, I think even yoga has a little bit of that practice of going beyond yourself. Sure. Um, but for me, you know, to take— 20 minutes in the car on the way to work to put on a rosary on, uh, to put a rosary on Amazon music where I could just be listening to music. And a lot of times I'm listening to podcasts, but once a week I'll try to do a rosary for 20 minutes. Anything that would, you know, uh, I think there's the, I think there's similarities to them in the fact that you're going outside of yourself to work on the soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm just a face, a big part of my journey and uh, for everything that he's done for me that I did nothing for, uh, the least I can do is to to spend time with him and thanks and asking to listen, um, asking to put the right people in my life, asking to put the right situations in my life. Uh, so that's the way I think of it. I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I will say one thing. Uh, I know I've been talking a lot. I apologize, but I am all about people taking a stand, have believing in something and standing for it. Because if you're in the middle and you're like, well, it could be this, it could be this, it could be that. And I'm like, I have no interest in someone that's in the middle that doesn't want to take a stand or wants to make everybody feel good. Um, I do believe there's right and wrong in this world, and I'm fine that people stand for it, and then we can have a an open this debate or discussion around it. Um, I think that's healthy. Being in the middle, I actually think is not healthy, right? I mean, to give you an example, I had two friends this weekend, and I asked them about love, right? Are you in love with your work? And one guy says, yes, absolutely, and this is why. And then guy's like, well, some days I am, some days I'm not, and here's why. And I'm like, just take a stand, man. You either mm -hmm. love it or you don't. It, mm -hmm. It's black and white. And if you don't love it, what are we going to go do to change it? Mm -hmm. 
if you do love it, what are the behaviors and the habits that we're going to go do to help you get better at it? And so that's kind of where I am. Long-winded answer to the to the spiritual question, but I'm okay that you have a stand. My stance is that I believe Catholicism is true and that I want to put my family and my kids in the best position for them to to be in position for that. And I'm okay with that. If you think it's different, that's fine. At least we can then have a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think uh, having a position on something and not being afraid to to put it out there is, is important. I definitely learned that myself, I think over the last number of years to, to be there. Two quick ones. Then we talked about cliches earlier and I like the, the question, is there a saying or is there a cliche is there a phrase that you can use most regularly that you kind of live by anything come up for you there patience is not <laughs> patience is a virtue patience is a virtue um i was told that by my dad for my whole life patience is a virtue and i didn't know what it me- meant until about a month ago <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's crazy because we all want it right now. And in this world that we're in today, it's right now, man. Like, can I get a million likes right now? Can I, can I get like, you know, I want to be a millionaire, a billionaire right now. And I want to have the best relationship right now. And it doesn't happen that way. Mm. It, It doesn't happen that way. I mean, there's only so many lottery winners, right? I mean, um, there was, there's a guy in the States, um, named Dave Ramsey, who's created a, you know, a big business called Ramsey solutions. And I heard him say one time, he's never come on. I'd, I'd love to have him on, but he said, I always thought that if I could just do this, I would be, I would make it right. If I could just get on this radio station, I would be, make it. If I could just get on Oprah, I would make it. If mm-hmm. I could just get, you know, and every time I got there, I realized that it was just another step towards being more successful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that idea of patience as a virtue, like if you're proactive and you're patient at the same time, good things will happen. Mm. If you're proactive and patient at the same time, good things will happen. And um, keep that mindset has been really helpful in building what we're building. Very good. Last one, just around leadership, because obviously that's what you're focusing on, the Welder Leader Program. I'll let you give a shout out about how people can get in touch. What's the one characteristic that you think is the most important in a leader that you could see emerge over the last while? Well, it starts with what leadership is. Um, If you you Google leadership, there's 30,000 definitions of it. Mm. Um, I've come to define leadership this way. Someone whose actions inspire, empower, and serve others to produce an improved state over an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Someone whose actions inspire, empower, and serve others to produce an improved state over an extended period of time. At the core of leadership, it's not about you, it's about them. Mm -hmm. And so if we keep that mindset that we're we're action-oriented in the service of other people, to produce an improved state, not for just right now, but for a long time, then you got a shot to go do something bigger than you're doing today as a group. Remember that quote I said, 
If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So if you want to go far and you want to go big and you want to go make a big impact on this world, you have to do it with other people. And if you have to do it with other people, you have to be able to lead well. You have to go be action-oriented and serve and empower them to go do something greater than we're doing today. So can you boil it down to one thing? I mean, no, mm -hmm. I don't think you can. I mean, I, I, just wrote a, I just wrote an article about um, Jack Welch, who was the CEO of GE, and he said he's kind of this tough CEO, he's a credible guy, but, but he said, you know, he, he boiled it down to an essence, which would be empathy, which would be gratitude, which would be giving, um, and which surprised me, this mm. hard-nosed financially driven guy yep. that's been married a couple times would would boil it down to that it was the almost the opposite of his approach that you would have seen during his career i i know the guy from listening to podcasts as well and yeah it's it's interesting yeah so if i if i would boil it down to that is like you know can you make it about other people and the more you do if you have their best interest in mind the better the team's gonna do um, there's nothing good. If you have information that's going to help somebody else perform better or do better and you withhold it in fear of conflict, you're not doing them a service. You're, you're actually doing them a disservice. So if you, if you're leading a team or you are a leader of your family or your spouse or whatever it may be, and you know they're doing things that are hurting them for the long haul and you're not telling them, you're not leading. Yeah. You're hurting. Sure. And so so keep those things in mind. Like um I I I really believe Jocko Willink uh famously said, there are no bad teams, there are just bad leaders. Think about that. Yeah. Like there are no bad teams or just bad leaders. And I think he is so right. <laughs> He's a good guy. All right. I, I like his stuff. John, look, we've gone over the hour and this has been fascinating as, you know, as I said, all the way through. Thanks so much for taking the time out to do that. Just give a shout out how folks can get in touch. I'll obviously include everything in the notes. Oh, yeah, you can. Uh... The business is LearnLoft. Uh, learn, you can go to LearnLoft.com. Uh, we have a free assessment there that anybody that manages or leads a team can take. Uh, we have a culture survey that someone could take to determine what level of culture their organization is, level one through level five. Um, we have a new 90-day leader challenge program that we're doing with only 15 people that they can uh, learn more on the site. And then uh, LinkedIn is the best place to get me. Uh, John Eads on LinkedIn. I'm happy to uh, help any way I can. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's been a pleasure, John. Thanks so much and uh, have a great full week ahead. How was that? Did you enjoy it? I hope so. If you did, please like, share and do all that other good stuff that only takes a second on social media but means an awful lot to me as it spreads the reach. You can get the details from the show in the show notes on the website robofthegreen.ie. In there you can share the show out with 
others i really just want to touch on three other quick things one feedback i learned so much from it without it i can't improve please give me a bit of feedback positive negative constructive would you recommend a book do you have any other ideas for guests how about more video let me know what you want and i can make it happen i will try that's number one number two sharing is caring this year i'm making more of an effort to try and expand the reach Facebook, there's a page and there's a group. The 1% Better Community on Facebook is where I really hope new listeners go to share ideas, comments, in general things that they could help others with. That's what it's there for. Follow me on Spreaker.com. That's the new host. I'm on Twitter, growing not exponentially at all, but slowly. So please follow there. I'm on Instagram. All of these are at Rob of the Green. LinkedIn, Rob O'Donoghue. Get in touch. Would love to hear from you. Number three is about support. So I'm offering a few hours a month pro bono free coaching to those that can't afford it that need some coaching, that want some coaching. If you go to the website, the support page, click on the pro bono link. On the flip side of that, where you guys can support me, go to patreon.com, the Rob of the Green page. You can make a donation there. You can get access to exclusive content, which I'm adding all the time. That would be awesome. Anything you contribute will go back into the show to make it better, make it more than 1% better. Also, there's the option to buy one of those books that were recommended through the website, which will bring you to Amazon, which will get you the normal links, which will get you the books at the normal price. But supposedly, Amazon will give the show a small donation every time a book is purchased or anything for that matter, which is great. So finally, I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. I know it's difficult to make improvements, to push things forward, to get outside your comfort zone. I'm trying to do it all the time. I hope that every listen and every show and every guest that is on gives you something to take away that you could apply, adopt and adapt into your own life to create a new habit, to make something better. Don't overreach. Small improvements. 1% is enough. And thank yourself for making the time to listen to the show. It shows you're interested in learning, improving and getting better, even if it's just 1% at a time. Have a great day and good luck.